0: lovely to be here this morning with you guys. Thank you for the warm welcome. And uh, the day is going to get uh, pleasantly warmer as it goes on, I'm sure. Uh, when it was suggested I preach on the topic I'm preaching on this morning, uh, I'm, it's, it's a message that not everyone uh, in our world uh, appreciates. And I hope that I haven't bitten off more than I can chew and I hope I haven't bitten off more than you can chew but let's begin with uh well we can see on the slide up there there's a, a quote I'm not always sure if a quote from John Wesley is actually from him or if somebody is whatever but we can certainly believe that those words would come from him that God is a life-changing God I can still remember very clearly and uh Uh, with with my white hair which I uh, gained very quickly in a process of a couple of months about the time my daughter was 16 and I don't think there's any connection my 16 year old daughter well she's now just turned 18 she's a wonderful young lady never caused me any grief but around about the time she turned 16 my my hair turned white now with my white hair You might think, well, how can you remember back to when you were 18? But I can remember very clearly some things that happened when I was 18. The most significant was that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been in and out of churches, many of them liberal in their message. But at that age, I heard the gospel. And I was overwhelmed by the love and the forgiveness that I'd received at that time, I was carrying a great burden of sin, and it was and I, I can still almost sense the, what happened with the lifting of that burden, a freedom, a hope and a joy and a sense of purpose that I'd never sensed before. At that age, I went to the first Bible study I'd ever been to, never been to a Bible study before. Uh, had nothing to do with young adults or youth. Fellowships in all of my life, and it was a wonderful new world that had opened up to me. And in the young adults group that I went to, and they were predominantly university students, the leaders of our home groups were nearly always Mystery Aviation, MAF uh, staff members who were in our church, and uh, the young adults um, recommended that I, I read. Uh, Bill Bright's material, Campus Crusade for Christ, and some of you have probably come across that at one time or another. And as a young believer, this was wonderful. So much, so many things that were relevant and practical about learning about this new wonderful life as a Christian. And learning relevant Bible passages was an important part of that. Now let's see, does that work? That way there we go. I'll get the hang of this. And they were two of the um, very significant uh, and wonderful passages, uh, ver- verses that I would led, uh, that I read and and learnt at that young age in my faith. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold. The new has come. And as we read on there a little bit further, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. As a young believer, I contemplated hard and long what that meant, particularly the first of those two verses. What had been made new? what had been left behind, how much was new, and how did that happen? I'd already sensed those things happening within my life, but I I contemplated, what did that really mean? For me personally, I'd already been overwhelmed by uh, the sense of forgiveness, and unexplained peace and happiness and hope and purpose. But, and and I'd known uh, that almost immediately my excessive alcohol consumption had just stopped clean and my foul mouth had become more positive and my bad habits had turned to good and my bad friendships had turned to good friendships there were many things that happened and in my case they just seemed to happen rather automatically and that's all good It's reported that John, in one of John Wesley's diaries that he said these words, and again, I would love to see the diary. When people quote other people, I'm never quite sure how accurate they are, but it's, John Wesley is quoted as having said, We have been given clear instruction in the holy guidebook of the supernatural that all believers are to share the gospel for they, we are all Christ's ambassadors. This too harks back to one of those scripture verses that I'd mentioned. If we are ambassadors of Christ, what are we like? What are we to be like? Let's see. There we go. Um, we are meant to be sanctified, holy, and represent God's kingdom in the world that is around us. That's what our role is. I will get the hang of this, I think. Uh, sorry. Right. I do apologise for that. What I'd like to speak about this morning is... Uh, his holiness is God's desire for people, but also I'd like to consider something of the world that we are surrounded by, the secular world and, and, and the way that it is changing, but I'd also like to consider some of the challenges we face in relating our faith and the life of Christ that we have received in the world that is around us. I need to lift it. Okay. So the first one is holiness is God's desire for us. Is holiness is, is that important? It's not something that people talk about much these days. Is it important? And the response is yes, it is important because in being holy we bear the family likeness. We have been adopted into God's family and we bear the family likeness. It's been said of Jesus in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been uh, filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That is saying that as you look at Jesus, we see all of the, the fullness of the Godhead existing in one man really hard to imagine because he was also human, but he was God. And I really, I think that the question that's answered there is, what's God like? And as we look at what Jesus was like, we really see what God is like. Because all the fullness of the deity of God dwelled in Jesus. This theme of holiness is really runs from cover to cover in the Bible. Now I'd like to look at a couple of things that are included, just a few select things, but I'm going to look from the more recent to the previous. The first of those is uh, God spoke through the Apostle Peter to say, but as you who called sorry as he who called you to be holy you also should be holy in all of your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy But before Peter wrote that the apostle Paul wrote therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God but before before Paul wrote that, Jesus said, "Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect." And before Jesus said that, the psalmist King David said, "Your word I have written. I have um, sorry. Your word I have hidden in my heart, so that I might not sin against you." And we go back beyond that. Before that. And God told Moses to tell the Israelites, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is not just an incidental thing. There's a very strong theme that runs through the scriptures, and it all is saying the same thing. We need to bear the family likeness. If we are ambassadors for our Father in heaven, this is the character that is expected. I guess we need to clarify the word holy. And uh, There's a simple biblical way and I think an easy way to understand. Which of you Bible scholars knows the first time that the word holy is, is used in the Bible? Is anyone going to put up their hand and say I know when it was first mentioned? It was mentioned in the second chapter of Genesis. After God spending those six days creating all of the wonderful, magnificent things in our in our world, He then said, "There's one day, the seventh. I stopped working on the seventh and rested. Make this a holy day." Now, did that mean that it was a, a perfect day in a sense that a, a perfect day in a sense that there was dew the night before and it was the right temperature all day and there was never any snow or sleet and it didn't get above 30 degrees. No, it wasn't a holy or a perfect day in that sense. It was a holy day in the sense that it was set apart. It was different to the other six. There was a special purpose for that day and it was rest and it was devotion to God, reflecting on what God had done. And in a similar way as we talk about holy people, what denotes us is that we are set apart for God's purpose. Yes, we need to confess sins from time to time. Yes, we need to learn and grow in Christ. But we are set apart for God's purpose, for his use. We are holy people. there are three things I'd like to mention now and they are that holiness means a separation from ungodliness. It's a separation to or a dedication to Christ as Lord. And it's a filling with God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Jesus demonstrated godliness as he walked and ministered in ways that showed that he was not of this world. He was an ambassador to this world. He showed in halting the storm and the various miracles that he did and even the people that he associated with that he was not of this world. He was separate from this world. He, was, he lived as a man but he lived separate. So a very good question we can ask ourselves from time to time, and this is in no way original, uh, what would Jesus do? As we're unsure about a situation, if Jesus showed the example, that question very often solves many problems. What would Jesus do in this situation? And he showed us many examples, and one in particular was how he resisted temptations. And we know in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus confronted many temptations after 40 days without food. And look, I don't, I, I've never been there. I'm sorry, I have never fasted for 40 days. I would imagine I'd be a pretty unpleasant person to be around after 40 days of fasting, fasting apart from God's wonderful grace. And food would be at the top of of my priority list at that point. And what the temptation was, turn that stone into bread and satisfy your hunger, is what the devil said to him. Full and reasonable, certainly at the top of the list of desires of Jesus at that time. And he said, no, I will not put my own comfort before the purposes of God. Then in verse 6, the uh, temptation was, throw yourself down from this high place. Surely the angels will catch you. There will be a public spectacle and all the people will come to you and worship you. And Jesus said, no, I won't do that. I won't resort to sensationalism to gather a crowd. I will do things God's way. And then further, he was challenged to bow down his knees before Satan and God would allow him these kingdoms of the world. And once again, he said, no, I won't compromise with evil to do God's purpose. So, the next is dedication to Christ as Lord. Our societies become very self-centred today. And many have almost reduced Jesus to a tablet to make you feel better. Remain in rebellion and sin, but oh, Jesus will make you feel better. Nothing more foreign to the kingdom of God than that. Because Jesus is Lord. Yes, he's Savior. Yes, he loves and he heals and he does so many things that make our lives more full and complete and better, but he is Lord. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, after having demonstrated his power and lordship in many ways through his life, at the very end in verse 18 of chapter 28, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples and teaching them, etc., etc. All authority. You know, I, I didn't really understand what authority was like until I I worked in Thailand as a missionary. He was a very long-serving king in that country. He was he ascended the throne about the same time as Queen Elizabeth did. He died about a year ago and has been replaced by his son. But in the time of that wonderful and much loved king, I went and served in Thailand and I saw something of the reverence and respect that that king commanded. But just before I went, there had been a dispute between the leader of the military and the, and the, the elected leader of the country. Many students came out in protest. And many were killed by the military. And I will never forget the image on the, on, the, on, the, on the television screen of the most powerful military man in the country and the most powerful political man in the country on their knees before the feet of the king of Thailand. He commanded authority that I have never seen in any other human being. Jesus is Lord. And as we devote ourselves to Christ, it is to Christ as Lord. But in doing that, he demonstrated himself what it was to submit himself to getting his own comfort to the will of his Father. In those words in Gethsemane, in Matthew chapter 26, where he said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That cup was what was to come, the betrayal, the, um, the, the, the floggings and the execution that would, would come his way. Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He demonstrated what it was like to commit himself to a higher purpose. The third of these is filling with the life of Christ through the Spirit of God. Wonderful words again by the Apostle Paul. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's only done as the Holy Spirit is resident within our lives. And it is done more clearly as he has more control and influence within our lives. Holiness is not something that we build. God builds it in us and through us. We submit to Christ. We desire Christ-likeness. We learn what Christ-likeness is like and repent and turn to those things. Now, this can happen, of course, when we open ourselves to Christ's forgiving love to what happened on the cross of Calvary. It can happen if we are in a crisis situation and and sense our failure and cry out to him afresh as Lord. It can happen every day as we realise that something of the dirt of the sin of this world is clinging to us. And we simply say, Lord, forgive me. Restore me to the fullness of your love and cleanse me afresh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. This can happen many times in many situations. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, and where the Apostle Paul urges to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. That word is in a present continual tense it's not suggesting that it might happen once or twice or several times the tense suggests that it's something that happens often frequently continually as we realize that there's been a slipping or a failing we reach out cry out to him afresh and know that wonderful fresh empowering and anointing through his holy spirit The secular world that we live in appears to be getting worse and darker. But the world has always been portrayed that way in the Bible. We see it changing, but in a sense, the darkness of our world today is probably not a lot darker than it was for Christians 100 years ago or 300 years ago or 800 years ago. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, we read, The world in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That description by the Apostle Paul is a picture of what the world was then. But we are ambassadors of Christ. Just as the Apostle Paul lived as an ambassador for Christ in that world, so too we live as ambassadors for Christ in the world that surrounds us. There was a time in which I recognised that our world was changing very quickly and that was after i returned that, that that process of preparing to work in thailand as a missionary and then coming back that process period was about seven years and in that seven years i wasn't really tuned in to what was happening here in australia but i was very much focused in another place coming back after that seven year period it was really strange I've been doing pastoral work before, but as I looked around the churches, the things they were doing in evangelism uh, either didn't exist or had changed remarkably from what we'd been doing before. Attitudes had changed within the church. Respect for the church from outside and within seemed to have changed. So I went on something of a journey to try and understand better what had happened in Australia. And I just flicked down there. There were a number of things I did on that journey to better understand. I, I did some post-grad studies, some secular employment. I did some uh, applied psychology. Uh, I did some work with street people and some school chaplaincy work and work in a debt centre where we work with people with chronic uh, debt and uh, did lots of listening to try and understand what was happening in the world. And truly, our world has changed. If any of you didn't know who Israel Folau was a year ago, I'm sure you know now. And there are probably people here that would say, well, he could have been a little more diplomatic or a little more gentle in what he said. But the fact remains, there's something of a watershed of Christian liberty that is being tested uh, in our country at this time. But before that happened, Victoria passed legislation to approve euthanasia and there'd been Christian debate on that issue for many, many years. Not long before that, the LGTBI uh, um, lifestyle had become, was, was said to become normal within our society. Before that, there was a demolition of freedoms of prayer and the Bible and religious teaching in public schools. And before that, going back, the promotion of evolutionary theories as proven historical fact They are theories. Somebody wants to talk about them as a theory. I have no problem with that at all. But they became taught within our school system as established historical fact. Some of you may have seen that picture before. It's one of Darcy Doyle's many. Love his pictures, and particularly that one, because as I look at that picture, it reminds me of some situations as I was growing up, and I'll just quickly talk about that in the... Within that situation, we see family homes, uh, an influence over people. We see friends, and they're probably friends that people knew and met every day, 365 days a year, and they worked on their relationships, they grew together. In the background is the the, uh, spire of a church, and faith, combined with the school system, they were the dominant influences on the minds and hearts. Of the people growing up there. Very different to today. Now, you can probably barely see those as I can barely see them, but somebody attempted to put together some of the influences upon people in those different um, parts of life. And there's a jumble of things things that people became obsessed with, things that influenced their hearts and minds and lives. That's what it's like today. The influences upon people's minds and lives are complex. And the presence of God really has very little part in that. But that's the society that we live in. I realise I'm running out of time very quickly, so I'll just skip over a little bit. But I'll mention in there, back in the late 70s, as a young believer, I went with some of the people from the church to a creation science lecture, and they go by a different name these days, at the MAF headquarters in Ballarat in Victoria. And that was an image that I saw at the time, didn't really understand it. I was inclined to think, well, why would the Christians be shooting at anyone anyway? But... In a sense, that was a prophetic picture because that's what has happened for the last 30 years. The picture there shows the church shooting at the, some of the ethical issues and maybe shooting at the, the opponents and maybe shooting other places. But the anti-God, the anti-Christians, were continually shooting at the foundation of our faith, biblical authority, and creation, to destroy the character of God. And that has been such an influence in what has happened within our society today. Evolution has displaced creation, morality has become godless, and Christianity was discredited and disgraced by free morality. How do we respond to the world? Come back to what I said before. We are ambassadors. We do not belong to this world. We belong to the kingdom of God and glory. But we live in this world and respond to it as God's representatives. The baseline is for people to consider what you say, in a sense, they need to, there needs to be some respect. Now, people will often let you speak, hear you out, But for them to consider what you've said, there needs to be some level of respect. For many people, that respect comes from a position or a qualification. For some, it comes from your character or your caring or your talent. Some people just need to know that you care about them. facing the challenges of living as a holy ambassador in our world. The words then again from the Apostle Paul, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is sealed at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. We really are aliens in this world. But again, because of time, I will quickly look at that next one. Some of the traps within our society affect what we look at. Sometimes we get ourselves into trouble from the things that we look at or the things that we think about or the things that we desire or the things that we touch. To be holy, the holy response is simply to turn from these things, turn to Christ and be filled with his Holy Spirit, and be restored and invigorated again. But in finishing, I just want to look, consider some of the challenges that we have in our society. How does God help in a world that is hostile to the principles that we believe and trust? In my years as a, as a believer, I've known some wonderful preachers, far better than I claim to be. I, I like to be a preacher of truth without being wonderfully eloquent. I'd love to be more eloquent, but I, I'm just not. I've met people that have uh, uh, done wonderful things, but the kind of people that I see that represent holiness, and, and there was. In the, in the first church I worked in uh, as I left the old college was a church down in Melbourne. And within that church there was a, a pair of grey-haired ladies called that we used to call the Gold Dust Twins. They weren't related, they were friends, they were sisters in Christ. And if anyone was sick, they'd be there. If anyone was in need, they'd have food prepared and take it to them. If there was a big meeting at the church, a missionary convention or something, they'd be there working long and hard to help get things ready. If there was a mess after a meeting, they'd be there late, tidying up afterwards. And they did it without a request for recognition. They did it with a smile on their faces, with joy in their hearts. They knew the love of Christ and they demonstrated to those around them and those in the community The love of Christ. They demonstrated that wonderful reality of being filled with God's Holy Spirit. Again, thinking of the world that we live in as being different to it to ours. How do we live in the world without appearing to be judgmental? That was a question that I struggled with as a young believer and I'd probably a Christian of about six months. And when I was in high school, what had been recommended me, to me by uncles was, before you do anything in life, get a trade. It doesn't matter what you do after that, but get a trade first. So I left school and did a mechanics trade. I was an apprentice motor mechanic when I became a Christian. And I very quickly got flack from the guys that I worked for because my foul mouth had changed and the things that I'd wanted to do had changed and they mocked me somewhat for my change in life. But I was an ambassador there. How could I live as an ambassador in a hostile workplace? And the worst... In the workshop, there wasn't a problem. Everyone was in different places. You were close to people but not too close. But the... The lunchroom was where it all happened. And if you've been in a trade situation, you would, you would know that there are many men and possibly women who have rough and crude and derogatory stories to tell in the lunchroom. But down there in the central highlands of Victoria, where it was bitterly cold in winter, and winter seemed to last six or eight months, there in Ballarat, they... Uh, Truck Bay was called Siberia, because when the wind blew from the south, it came straight from the south South Pole, and it swept in through the Truck Bay, and anything that was damp seemed to get frozen. So the lunch place, the lunch room, was the place to be at lunchtime and morning tea time, and in a sense, you were captive to what was going on. And I, I, I struggled with how do I be? Do I? I don't want to listen to all the rubbish that's spoken of. How do I remain there and show that i 'm not judgmental but yet keep my mind different and I, the, and the solution was i got you 've seen them those little gideon gideon 's Bibles the smallest bibles you can find, and I got one of those tiny little bibles and I put it in the corner where i 'd sit at, 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 for morning tea and i 'd race in there early so i got my seat and i 'd start my lunch and i 'd pluck down the little little Bible and People could be talking about whatever they liked, and I'd just read one chapter of Proverbs every time and read a bit and contemplate and read a bit and contemplate. And, and so my mind was taken up with different things, but I was still there with the people. And God provided many wonderful opportunities for witness and sharing in that situation. I think we're down to one last... Uh, Situation. How do I reach outsiders? A couple of years ago, there was a lady from the church and I visiting a young couple. This young lady was about 21, had one child, was pregnant with another. She, her partner was, she met at a carnival. He was a carnival He used to travel around with the carnival. About 10 years older than her. And her life, their lives were really... I said to her, are you happy for us to pray with you? She said, no, I gave up on praying years ago. But we were there and we were accessible to her. Different kingdoms. I let conversation flow for a few minutes and then I came back to it and I said, what happened in your life to make you give up on prayer? She said, because God didn't answer my prayer when I was being raped by my father. Certainly not what I'd expected. But by being there and available, that young lady had opened a part of her life which to many was private. And we were able to speak into her heart and life something of God's love. God's sorrow at what had happened in her life. The last time I saw she and her, her partner and her two little ones was in the church building at a, at a meeting. haven't seen them since. I don't know where they are now. But we can be available. We can be available. We are ambassadors for God's life in our world. Let's be available. Kids walk past your gate, be friendly. People you meet in the shopping centre, be friendly. Playing sports, be friendly and caring because we have a message that the world needs. And I do thank you for this opportunity to share with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ and fellow ambassadors. Thank you.